0: All of us at Shift Shapers are thankful for your continued support and this encore episode of Shift Shapers. What is Benefit Selling's 2015 Broker of the Year, and an Advisor Forbes Magazine called one of America's most innovative benefit leaders talking about and implementing with his clients? We'll find out on this two-part episode of Shift Shapers. Change paralyzes or energizes, the choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers Podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and Chief Transformation Strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers Podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health. A captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. There is just a ton of new stuff that some very forward-thinking benefit advisors are chatting with employers about. And we've had some great subject matter experts on the podcast. We thought we'd get someone who's actually out in the trenches, eyeball to eyeball, toenail to toenail, as we used to say, with prospects and with clients who's actually employing some of these techniques and some other techniques that maybe you haven't heard about yet, but that you should We're pleased to have my old friend, David Contorno, who's president of Lake Norman Benefits, on the program today. Forbes called David one of America's most innovative benefit leaders, and I completely agree. And with that, welcome, David. Good morning, David. Thank you. One of the things that you and I talked about, and we've had this conversation over the last couple of years, is what you call the employer's dilemma, and it points to why the old way just isn't working. What is the employer's dilemma? It's a great place to kind of start our conversation.
1: Well, I think what they, what they've been, the decision making process they've been faced with as it relates to their benefits each year. And this is absolutely true and fully insured, but I think it also applies to self insured is this seesaw of. Most employers have a desire to want to improve benefits, especially with the erosion that we've seen over the last decade. And at the same time, they want to save costs. And they typically find those two things at odds with each other. So if they want to make benefits more affordable, it costs them more money. And if they want to save money, it's usually cost shifting to the employee. And both of those have consequences and waterfall effects of various kinds and sizes, depending on how they deploy those. But that's always been the struggle. You favor one over the other. And and there's not a lot of things that I had found that had allow us to do both, help the employee and help the employer, until we really started to move in a different direction.
0: Well, and I remember not all that many years ago, we moved from $100 to $500 deductibles and from $500 to $1,000 deductibles. And we had some other utilization breaks like copays and whatnot. Besides the fact that you get stuck on what you call that seesaw, you get stuck in that dilemma, Aren't we pretty much out of runway for the ability to cost shift? I mean, is there any more shift that can happen?
1: You know, one would think not. I mean, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, restricted the hands of the insurance companies to a, a large extent by putting unlimited lifetime maximums and and max and putting a max out of pocket. And not only that, but but ensuring that everything applied to the out of pocket. I mean, I remember the days not too long ago where your copays were indefinite, and that, and that's no longer the case. So. I think the, the levers that they're pulling now are actually continuing this downward spiral where you're narrowing networks, where we find that when carriers control that process, they're doing it strictly based on the, the largest discount they can negotiate. And what, what I've found is number one, larger discounts do not equal lower pricing. And my fear is as these networks have compressed, you're only giving those healthcare systems more leverage and more power when the current contracts expire in a couple of years. So uh, I could see them asking for larger increases and ultimately controlling a larger share of that carrier or that network's patient base and thereby giving more leverage down the road. So it actually, I believe, is making things worse, but that's one of the few levers left to pull. Well,
0: because from from an employee standpoint, and that's true, all of that's true from an employer standpoint, we're all seeing that, from an employee standpoint, we've got so much personal responsibility in a lot of the plans now that, that a lot of employees are functionally uninsured. Yeah,
1: we call it consumerism or at least that's the phrase we use to allow us to put our head on the pillow at night i think really it's what it's resulted in is a rationing of care and not from a supply side perspective i mean we have plenty of supply of healthcare it's really from a cost and affordability perspective and so the challenge with that again continuing that downward spiral is now you have employees that can't afford to manage their chronic conditions their hypertension their diabetes they can't afford to tend to basic things. So those more minor things then bubble up down the road in much larger things. And I remember when HSA plans first came out, the ultimate consumer-directed plan, people saw a decrease in claims for a couple of years, and they thought that we were finally on the right trend. But what I think that was, was not a reduction in the need for care. It was an avoidance of care. And then those things started to bubble up. And now, if you look at the delta between a similarly deductible PPO and a similar deductible HSA, you don't see anywhere near the Delta in pricing on premiums that we used to see when, you know, years ago when they first came out because they know that you get high utilizers on those HSA plans. And once they reach their out of pocket, everything's covered at a hundred percent. It didn't, it didn't drive the type of stewardship that, that they thought it instead created an avoidance of care, which, which resulted in bigger problems.
0: So before we get into some of the tools and techniques that you use with clients, I think you've got a kind of a different mindset when you go and chat with a prospect or a client. And I wonder if you think the advisor community is moving to more of a full plan, long term model, not unlike in some ways what financial planners do. Is that kind of the new motif for interacting with employers?
1: Well, let's first admit that what we're all doing isn't working. So we obviously need to look at it in a different way. And I love it when these employers have these one-year chunk mindsets, which which we've driven that behavior for years between carrier renewals and brokers coming in once a year. We're responsible for that mindset. But I love when I am start talking about a five-year plan and they're like, I can't even think about health insurance five years from now. And I say, well, do you plan on being in business five years from now? Do you plan on having employees five years from now? Do you plan on still selling whatever you sell five years from now? And of course, the answer is yes. So I said, how can you not look at this five years from now? This is going to be an issue five years from now. We need to address it and create a plan going forward. So having never really been a financial planner, it's it's, it's hard for me to exactly relate it to that. But I certainly know that there are known for a much more strategic approach. They ask questions about what your risk tolerance is. So, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I realize we are moving down that path, although not necessarily with intent, just because it makes sense to think about such a large financial obligation and financial commitment as we would think of our retirement and our planning for our later years.
0: How do we get there? How how do we
1: start thinking about it with
0: intent? And I think the follow-up to that is, How do you start having that conversation with employers? Because as you just indicated, it's a very different conversation. And you're right. We've been in the kick the ball, drag Charlie 12-month cycle, and we did it to ourselves. There's no question I agree with you. How do you how do advisors start moving to this new different mindset and have those conversations?
1: Well, I think it's a couple things. First of all, it's talking to the right people. I think we've been talking to the wrong people for many years. And I think that wrong person, when it comes to these financial decisions, is with HR running the ball on that. They're not trained for it. They're not schooled for it. They're not incentivized for it. And their primary motivation is around making the employees happy. And we know that people don't like change. So anything that speaks of change tends to make HR nervous. Now, I don't want to downplay HR's role. They are extremely important to us facilitating and educating the employees on the strategies that we deploy. But my general feeling is, is that although they're, they they sh- they should be at the table, they shouldn't be part of the decision-making process until the financials of the plan have been decided. And then they should be a big part of how we roll those out and educate their employee population. So I think it's the C-suite. I think it's the CFO. And listen, you know me, I'm from New York. I can be a little brash at times and that doesn't change when I'm in a prospect meeting. So I'll often... In that initial meeting with the CFO, of course, ask questions. How's business? What kind of markets are you in? And once they tell me all that, I'll pose a question. I'll ask them, so how's your healthcare business unit performing? And they often look at me with quizzical eyes that we don't, we don't have a healthcare business unit. And I said, well, you just described to me things that are much lower down the P&L that you're treating like a business unit. Even Warren Buffett said General Motors is a healthcare company with an auto unit attached to it because it spends more on healthcare than it does on steel for, for what it manufactures. I said, maybe we need to start looking at this as a business unit. It, it Maybe we need to pay the attention and put in the the, the right experienced and and trained people overseeing that and then maybe if we looked at it as a business unit we would start to look at it much differently so that's the first step is is changing the the way the employer looks at it and understands it and when you get the CFO engaged in the process the financial decisions start to get done from the right motivation from the right perspective which is not so uh, I know HR is well-intentioned. I don't in any way mean to downplay them. But if if HR surveyed the employees and asked them, what do you want in a health plan? They're going to say, I want the lowest out-of-pockets possible, and I want the broadest network of providers possible, right? Those are the two things that they're going to say. And frankly, those are contrary to their interests in a lot of ways, especially tied to each other. I mean, they're particularly devastating when you give the widest choice of providers and allow employees to go to all of those providers at low or no out-of-pocket because you're then including the largest percentage of providers that are either not good or over diagnosing and over testing and over treating. So you definitely want some intelligence behind it, but it's really a financial decision and needs to be looked at as such. So you need to be talking to the financial people.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace, until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff, while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Henry Ford was quoted as saying if he'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. What I hear as a theme is the same thing Ford did when, when they started introducing mass market automobiles. What I hear as a theme from what you're, you're talking about is that the first step is to break the complacency that the employer has and to break the mindset that it's this 12-month rolling annoyance that they have to deal with. And get them to start thinking of it, as one of our guests, Jeff Hogan said in a real one of our real early podcasts, is to to have them look at their benefit plan as as they would look at any other corporate asset.
1: And not only that, but it can actually return a, a pretty significant ROI if if you do it properly. I mean, one of the difficult to measure metrics that I think is is becoming more predominant is the physical health of the employee impacting their what they do when they're at the office. So they, they don't have any sick time left or they don't want to take sick time. Maybe it's a high-pressure job. So they come in with untreated conditions, migraines, back pain, you name it. How effective are they being? I know when I don't feel well, I am significantly slowed down for the day. But there are some people that live with that day in and day out because they can't afford the care or they're just not getting the right care from wherever they're going.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. So now that we've kind of set the table, let's talk about some of the specific things that you do with employers, some of the techniques that you employ in order to get that mindset changed and to get that savings that you just alluded to.
1: So that the first step is going to depend a little bit on where the employer's at. We initially targeted fully insured employers because we knew that there was tremendous room for improvement. But we've sort of change that a little bit. We, we actually, with the self-insured employers that we've started working with that were already self-insured when they engaged us, they have a better understanding of the financials of a health plan in general. And the things that we bring in have a much shorter ramp up time to start to see the impact of. So really depends on the conversation. If they're fully insured, you got to get them over the hump of self-insured is more risky. Or um, I went to meet with a prospect a few weeks ago, and they, they said that their current broker was shying away from self-insured. And I asked why, what was the number one reason that he was citing? And they said, well, we have a member that's taking a $35,000 a month drug. And I said, okay, but do you think your current carrier is giving that to them out of the kindness of their heart? Or do you think it's priced into your rates? And they said, well, it's priced into our rates, I'm sure. And I go, exactly. So we can price that into a self-insured plan just because they're taking a, we, we know in the, in, in the experience rated market, your premiums are driven by utilization, but they give you very little data on that utilization and don't allow you to deploy Anything that they don't put their stamp of approval on to control that utilization. So your, your rates are at their mercy and the things they do to control their rates are at their mercy. If this were any other sector of an employer's business, they, they wouldn't tolerate that. So the first hump is getting them into the self-insured. So let's presume for a minute that they're either now there or, or we're already there. And then we have to start to look at, and, and I love asking some questions around, you know, well, how much would it cost your plan to, for an employee to get a knee surgery or a hip replacement or a number of things? And of course, they can look historically, but they'll find wide variations in price. And we eventually determine, well, they can't get a price. They can't give us a price. There's so many dependent factors. And I go, well, that's, that's part of the problem. We, we, we How do we control costs if we can't get a cost until after the services are consumed? It's just not possible. And and it's one of the things that the drums that I keep beating from a, a larger perspective, which is how do we ever make healthcare more affordable? How do we even measure if we're having an impact if we can't get a price beforehand? It's It's just it seems so simplistic to me. I don't understand how we can be trying to attack affordability from any other angle, except let's first give us the right to measure that affordability. So you start to ask them questions and they hopefully bring them to the realization that pricing in healthcare, at least in the traditional model where you have a ASO TPA and a traditional PPO network and one of the big PBMs, Is just not possible. And so we start to show them ways to do that, to give definitive pricing and to have quality metrics and really remind them that if they really took their ERISA fiduciary responsibility seriously, that they should have been doing this all along and that outsourcing this responsibility to an entity that's arguably not doing it anyway really isn't allowing them to meet their legal responsibilities around offering a health plan. So that's the first step is is get them to realize that if they were paying for anything else, or anything else they do pay for in their business, they wouldn't tolerate the payment model that has been developed around healthcare. And, and once they get upset and enraged at that, And if they're already self-insured, we can bring them data. I'll pull out a a DRG code or a CPT code, and I'll just hunt for the highest price of that and the lowest price of that, and just show them, hey, you had two employees. One had a knee arthroscopy and it was eight thousand, and another one had it done and it was forty thousand. And by the way, the forty thousand dollar one had three weeks of off time afterwards, whereas the eight thousand dollar one was back to work in three days. You start to show them a couple of those things and frankly, they get angry. And that's what I want. I mean, when they, when that anger starts to occur, that's when we start to see change. I, I've always said change in, in this world. And this is true in my personal life as well. Doesn't seem to occur until the pain of staying the same finally outweighs the pain of change. And so really what I'm trying to do is bring that bottom up. I'm trying to bring that tipping point up instead of. Uh, Watching things come deteriorate down to the point of change, I'm trying to to bring that that pain of staying the same up, the realizations that come along with some of the things we're doing to get to hit that tipping point.
0: Is pharmacy the low-hanging fruit in terms of having the initial conversation with employers because there's such huge variation and so much
1: opportunity? Generally speaking, absolutely. We can do pretty quick PBM analysis. And I love talking about how dirty that industry can be. I I talk about spread pricing. I I say that there's a, a very large chance that the PBM is charging the plan You know, $28 for a generic drug and only passing through 18 of that to the pharmacy in addition to the administrative fees, in addition to the dispensing fees, in addition to the rebates, depending on the situation and wake them up to that and show them that that, you know, that's just because they go with a large PBM. That doesn't mean that that they're getting the best pricing possible. And so there are so many things that we can do in pharmacy, not only in terms of replacing or improving the PBM. But carving out specialty, we've done patient's assistance programs where we've gotten the manufacturer to cover the drug in full. We just did that with a $85,000 a month drug for a dependent uh, of an employee and got the manufacturer to cover it. We had to exclude it from the formulary, which again, the large PBMs and the fully insured carriers won't let you do because they get large rebates on those things. So we excluded it from the formulary. And that made this employee eligible. We had already done some research from an income perspective, and now the manufacturer is paying for that prescription at hundred percent. So there are so many ways to attack pharmacy, and we're now seeing pharmacy being as high as thirty-three or thirty-five percent of total healthcare spend. I mean, it's reaching levels that we've never seen before. One of the things that was pointed out to me that that likely had a an impact on that. Is the removal of lifetime caps by the Affordable Care Act. And now these drug companies had this essentially unlimited pocketbook from which to pull from. And we've just seen the cost of these really high cost drugs skyrocket since the passage of that provision. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic
0: Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.